Avast, me hearties, and listen well. Batten down the hatches, for we've a piratey podcast for ye this week. Savvy? Shiver me timbers. A pirate podcast, you say? Aye, for all ye landlubbers. What Shannon is trying to say is, we have a fantastic episode this week featuring an interview with award-winning author Daniel Jose Older, and then we share some of our favorite fiction featuring pirates. Heave ho, and let's get started. Our guest today is Daniel Jose Older, the New York Times bestselling author of the upcoming young adult fantasy novel, Ballad and Dagger. His novel, Shadow Shaper, was named one of the best fantasy books of all time by Time Magazine and one of Esquire's 80 books every person should read. He's won the International Latino Book Award and has been nominated for the Kirkus Prize, the World Fantasy Award, the Andre Norton Award, the Locust, and the Mythopoeic Award. Welcome to the KPL Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell us about Ballad and Dagger. Ah, where do you even begin with this book? You know, I still haven't figured out like the elevator pitch or whatever because <laughs> there's so much going on in this book. Um, but at its heart, it's about this kid, Mateo, who's just trying to play piano. And it turns out he's connected to this healer god and has all kinds of powers he didn't know about. And he's thrown into the middle of this huge dispute in his neighborhood about whether or not or how to raise um, their island that they all come from in the Caribbean which was this mystical homeland of outlaws and escapees of empire that sank mysteriously 16 years ago. See, see what I mean? There's so much happening, but it's also a love story. Well, that's the great thing about fantasy. There's always so much great world building. So my fantasy is one of my favorite genres. Oh, thank you. I agree. So the culture of San Madrigal is made up of Santeros, Sephardic Jews and pirates, which was great. Love to have pirates in, in a story. Always got to have pirates. What was the inspiration uh, behind mixing uh, all these different cultures and people? On some level, you know, it's just that every culture is a mix of cultures. And we get caught up in a lot of um, falsehoods about purity that are very dangerous, I think. And and then other cultures are very aware of how mixed we are. and, And we kind of recognize it and honor it. And um, San Madrigal is one of those places, you know, it's very, there's no, there's no way to pretend it's not mixed because it, it is these vastly different uh, people who are all connected really by the, their statuses kind of being shoved outside of the law by various different um, choices that mostly other people made <laughs> for the most part. So um, I, I, some of the cultures are, are very close to me and, and unfortunately I'm not a pirate technically, but you know, there's a lot of my own growing up and I grew up in a Jewish and Catholic household um, and I have Santero, Santero family members and, and now I myself am a Santero. So there's a lot of um, culture. I also just, you know, growing up in a situation like that, I love the mix of cultures, especially ones that aren't supposed to mix or whatever other, you know, nonsense. And I think that's what, where things really come to life. And, and I live in New Orleans, which is one of the great uh, mixes of cultures mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Caribbean yeah. itself, right? Um, so, so all those elements are always there and, and they're so alive to me, you know, and I, and I love like both the tensions and the, and the beauty that, are, that, is, that comes out of, of people intermingling in, in complex ways. And there it is. Yeah. Well, you know, I think being a pirate is a state of mind, right? So <laughs> you think you're a pirate, you're a pirate. I, you could be a pirate, right? I'm claiming like, it. I'm claiming it's it. It's like being a rebel. So right. yeah. yeah. 
Um, the main character, Mateo, views the world through music, and the music of San Madrigal is an important part of the story. Are you a musician yourself, or in, you know, and what kind of research did you do for that part of the novel? So I am a musician, and in many ways that was, I don't want to say my first, but one of my, um, one of my original languages of storytelling was music. In most of my 20s, I was really using music as a as a tool for storytelling more than writing, um, more than writing books and short stories. And I love music. And, I, and like Mateo, I see the world through the lens of music very often. And, and I hear music when I write, both because I play music, uh, you know, I'm playing this while I'm writing, but also because uh, for me, I, I, the sound of the words is really important and, and, and the rhythm of the sentences and, and the paragraphs. And I, I always think of writing as a very musical activity. Um, even though it's not. And the good thing about it is that you can make mistakes and go back and fix them, right? <laughs> it's not like you're on stage. And I always tell my students, like writing is not a performance art and you're better off for not treating it like it is because you can go back and fix stuff. So I think all those are really important aspects of it. But um, I just love music deeply. Uh, I love to play it and I love to hear it. And I think it is such a key way that we connect as humans, both to each other, to ourselves and to the world around us. And and I wanted that to um, be a really important part for Mateo. Yeah, it definitely was. I could tell uh, when I was reading, his point of view was so interesting and different because I don't see the world musically. Right. And so it was very cool to read uh, how he reacted to the sounds around him, all everything going on. He would process it and it would be like music to him. And I thought that was really cool. Thank you, thank you. So can I ask, what do you play? Yes, I play... Um, I think bass is probably my main instrument, um, in part because it's there's less strings. <laughs> I do play, I do play guitar, but um, I get lost in it. Um, guitar was the first instrument that I played, and then more recently, I've been picking up piano some just um, to try something different, and and I love it. Um, and 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 I use that to write when I write music, which I haven't done for a long time. But um, yeah, so kind of different things, but. Um, it sort of depends on my mood. When I was in a band, um, I was playing bass. Mm -hmm. I can't carry a tune, but I always am always fascinated okay. by people who can play play music. <laughs> I, I can't either for me, so that doesn't stop me from trying. I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. So what do you hope readers take away from your book? Um, you know, on a basic level, like with, with all my books, I, I hope especially young people walk away with a sense of their own power to some degree and, and feel like excited about telling their stories. Um, and, and however weird their stories might be, you know, this is a really weird book. All my books are really weird. And part of the reason I do that is because I'm really weird, but also because I want um, young people to feel empowered to be weird and to tell weird stories and and to own, take ownership of their own weirdness and their own storytelling. Um, on another level too, like a big theme throughout this book is that we haven't really been, I don't think society has really given us an accurate language to describe all the things we go through. You know, the pain of exile and oppression and the joy of resistance and connection with other people and finding each other even through that you know, the, the tumultuousness of history. And I think young people are the best at, at redefining and, and inventing new languages. They, they're the ones that always do that for the world. And 
I honor that and, and I hope my stories honor that. That's, that's one thing I set out to do and, and encourage that. You know, I think we need new languages because the ones we have aren't enough. And so a lot of the, the, the story is, is really about redefining and, and breaking beyond the facile kind of like simplistic definitions that were given, the binaries, you know, the BS and getting beyond it and just something better and, mm -hmm. and figuring out what that is as we go. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, so Ballad and Dagger is the first YA entry in the uber popular Rick Riordan Presents imprints. Mm -hmm. And he composed a wonderful introduction to the novel. He did. What He did. Yes. I was like, wow, this is really, it was a really good one. Yeah, so yeah, uh, what does it mean to you to be the first YA author chosen for the imprint? A oh, huge honor, of course. Um, I, it blew me away. Honestly, uh, we actually brought them this book as a middle grade because we didn't know that they were doing YA. And, and I actually thought this story was a middle grade originally. Um, and I'm so happy that it that it that they that they replied the way they did. And they were like, actually, we're doing YA. And this kind of feels a little YA because that that version of the story, he's still, you know, playing music out in this club late at night. And like most 12 year olds are probably not doing that. Um, yeah. So, there, you know, it was still like romantic in different ways. He had a crush on the waitress at the time. And um, they were right. Um, and, and but it just it blew the story up in the best way. Like it really just in the process of changing it over to YA, it really forced me to expand the mythology of it, expand the world building. Like it just became something so different. And I love what it became so much. So that, on that level, just on a story level, it's really gratifying. And then of course, you know, Rick is just such a hero. Like I love him so much. I love his writing. I love the way he moves through the world and, and the, the decisions he makes. They're also inspiring. So, and I've always loved the, the books that this uh, imprint has been putting out just straight through the line is fantastic work. So I'm just really happy to be a part of it. Yeah. As a teen librarian, I was actually really excited to hear that, uh, he decided to start doing some YA uh, titles in his imprint because I know even a lot of teenagers, they'll still go and read the middle grade ones. Yeah. They love the, all the books have such great world building and fantasy yeah. and mythology. And totally. so I was, I'm very excited that he's decided to uh, add YA to the repertoire. Me too. So if you could go back in time, what advice would you give to yourself at the start of your career? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I don't really believe in regrets, um, but I, and you know, I, I did, like I, I, I stuck it out. That I, I always talk about how with Shadow Shaper, my first book, um, it got rejected 40 times. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just how important it is that people know that that happens, you know, like even to authors that are further on in our career, we've all had rejection and we continue to have rejection. I still have books that were you know, rejected multiple times even after I had a career and people knew who I was in the industry, that's part of it. And for better, or for worse, and sometimes for worse. Um, but it, the process certainly made me a better writer and, and I learned a lot from it. And I was aware of that in the, at the time that I, it was either gonna make me or break me, you know, like there's kind of only two ways to go. So I'm really happy that I stuck it out um, and then I fought for the things I fought for. There, it's always a fight. There's a lot of fights. And um, I'm really happy that I stood my ground at the right times. Um, I, I guess I wish I had known, like I, I, there's, there's still, there was still a lot of uncertainty. I, I can't say that I like 
in the middle of those 40 rejections, I was like, this is going to be great. I know it's going to be great. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, and it was, it was very easy to despair during that time. And I certainly did. And so I guess I would want to just be like, we're going to do this. You know, I just want to tell myself we're going to make it and we're going to keep pushing. And it's not always going to feel like worth it, you know, or that, or that you'll get where you're going, but you will. And, you know, and all of these lessons, including like the bad advice, it's still good advice because you learn a lot from it, even if what you're learning is not to take bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very lesson. important lesson. <laughs> a really important lesson that they don't teach you in like MFA programs, except by sometimes giving bad advice, which you then have to learn to say no to, even if it's from people that you admire or people that you're supposed to admire or people in powerful positions, you know, because that's practice for when you have an editor who's giving you some advice that maybe isn't bad, but they're trying to push the book in a certain direction that's actually further away from the heart of the story. And you need to hold your ground on that. But there's so many decisions you make as a writer, both in story and in the presentation of the book. Um, it's easy to get decision fatigue, you know? Mm-hmm. And especially early on when you don't, you know, have a sense of your own power yet. You don't know who you are in the industry because you're not anybody in the industry yet. You're still making your way. There are all those moments, you know? And so like, I'm really proud of how I've carried myself in my career and and it was still really scary. There were still a lot of moments when I didn't know if those decisions I made would just lead me to a path of total obscurity. Um, so I guess I would just, more than advice, I would just say like, you know, not just hang in there because I did, but, but like, find joy in all of these moments even the ones that seem really dim well I'm glad you stuck it out because I am enjoying the shadow shaper series that's the series I've been working uh, reading through so I I am loving it I love just the whole concept of art and and everything that's in it so I appreciate that all right and then this is a question we like to ask uh, all of our guests what are you reading right now or what would you like to recommend to us oh man there's so many first of all all the rick riordan books are fantastic all the from the rick riordan i mean his books too but also just from my co-writers within the imprint are incredible um claribel ortega is one of my favorite writers um witchlings just came out and um um she has so many great stories in her and it's always great to hear from her um Oh, you know what I'm in the middle of that I love? Um, and I'm, it's like taking me forever because I became a dad. <laughs> so oh. everything, yes. Congratulations. So Congratulations. Put every book down so I could pick up my son, which is, you know, understandable. But um, These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong, so good. Um, I know it came out a couple of years ago. The sequel is out now, but it's an amazing book. I love also A Song Below Water by B.C. Morrow. Fantastic YA. Um, there's so many great ones. But yeah, those are a couple. Thank you. Our guest today is Daniel Jose Older, and his novel Ballad and Dagger is available right here at the Kirkwood Public Library and wherever fascinating books are sold. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was a fantastic interview with Daniel Jose Older talking about his upcoming book, Ballad and Dagger. Sounds like it has a lot going on in it. And uh, since part of the culture, uh, of the book it involves pirates and I mean who doesn't like pirates Jagisha and I thought that we would share some of our favorite uh, fiction movies and books uh, that have pirates in them so Jagisha uh, why don't you go first with your first um, recommendation 
yes, Daniel Jose Older was great. And yes, I also enjoy Pirates. So the first one I'm going to recommend, which might be fairly obvious to everybody, is Pirates of the Caribbean, starring Johnny Depp. There's about five movies, I'd say. I haven't watched all of them, but uh, the first one's probably my favorite. Sparrow or Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow was just always amazing. It's, I think it's one of my favorite roles he's done. And I've seen a lot of his movies and Jack Sparrow is one of my favorite characters out there. Yeah, it was uh, very, I remember when it came out and definitely uh, Johnny Depp was very unique. His, his portrayal of a pirate was very different from a lot of different, like, I mean, he, yeah, he was just like a drunken kind of, uh, Oh yeah, I Happy mean, I lucky. yeah. <laughs> so you know, yeah, he's not sort of this murderous, vicious type of pirate. He was more about just conning people. Con man is probably a better accurate term. Yes, yeah. And who can forget his first entrance when he's like on the top of the the pirate ship and he's like coming in and it looks all like majestic, but it's actually the ship is sinking and he just like steps right onto the dock. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Like it's the best entrance uh, ever. It really shows you his character. So, but yes. Uh, and then, I mean, Disney even changed their Pirates of the Caribbean ride to include Jack Sparrow because he was so popular. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we and we have the movies in the library. So if anyone's interested, you can check them out. So and then. OK, so your turn. What do you have for, okay. for Pirates? All right, so my favorite pirate movie um, is actually a classic. I guess it's a classic now. It came out when I was a kid, Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> I So that's my favorite pirate movie, and it's because, okay, so I love the Muppets. And so my older sister, growing up, she had a thing, like she loved the Muppets. And she also loved Tim Curry. She still does. I mean, it's not like that's changed or anything um, <laughs> now that we're adults. But so like that, like, you know, reflect like because, you know, you're like, oh, I want to be like my older sister and stuff. So I started really liking the Muppets and Tim Curry and I still do. And but I mean, you know, it works out because Tim Curry is amazing. Um, he is a great Long John Silver. Um, and I yeah. And I just love the Muppets. I love the the movie because it's got the music. Um, so it's also like, it's, can be lighthearted, but there's also some serious moments in it. And yeah, I just, I just love Muppet Treasure Island. It's my favorite pirate movie. I mean, I just can't think of better pirates than Muppets. I, (laughs) (laughs) true, you know, like they make really good pirates. And then Kermit was a great captain and, uh, and then Miss Piggy being Benjamina, uh, (laughs) like on the island and instead of like, yeah. I mean, so anyway, I just love Muppet Treasure Island. We do have it uh, at the library um, in the in the children's room. It is technically a kid's movie, but it's still my favorite pirate movie. So um, definitely recommend watching Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> I'll always good recommend ch- the Muppets. <laughs> yeah, good choice. Um, I was actually a big fan of Muppet Babies. So it was one of the cartoons as a kid that I would watch. I would probably get yep. out of school and Muppet Babies would be on. And now yep. the song's going to run in my head all day long. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so what's your next, uh, what's your next recommendation? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Michael Crichton. I love Jurassic Park. So I've seen the movie and, the, and read the book. Uh, so his, 
He passed away in 2008, and right before he passed away, he wrote a book called Pirate Latitudes. And this was a great, it's just an adventure book about just your pirates and they're trying to steal a treasure. So it is set in 1665, and at this time, Jamaica is a British colony. And the governor of Jamaica hires uh, Captain Hunter, or is the main character, Charles Hunter, and he's the pirate, as a, I mean, or a pirateer, hires him to steal galleon from the spanish so the spanish are actually trying to take over the colony and and the british Mm -hmm. uh, you know keep on hang on to jamaica so they're like we're going to steal this massive galleon that's supposed to get transported to spain at some point uh so basically they make the deal and then hunter sets out with his men to to go over to the fortress where the galleon is kept and well he gets captured and actually is taken to the to the fortress and then they escape so it's just basically an adventure one thing after another just like watching an action movie or something we're just you know our hero yeah. you know gets get set up from one challenge to the next but yeah we- I had no idea that Michael Crichton wrote a pirate book but I guess if it came out right before he passed away that might be why it kind of got overlooked I suppose mm-hmm yeah, so the book was like, yeah, basically right around the time he passed away. And um, yeah, I think it doesn't get a lot of credit, though supposedly it's up for it being turned into a movie. But a lot of things are, you know, people buy the rights to the movie and then who knows? Yep, it's made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, um, it's and pirates seem to be, I mean, I don't know if they ever go out of, out of fashion, but um, there seems to be. Uh, a couple like there's new shows coming out that have to do with pirates um lately so maybe it will get made <laughs> yeah yeah you never know yeah so and well then... my next one um kind of going along with the treasure island thing i have read the original treasure island i mean i think we all did in school and it's mm-hmm. a good book but my next uh recommendation is actually um a ya book it just came out uh couple months ago uh it's called a clash of steel a treasure island remix by cb lee um it's another remix i talked about the little women one on a previous episode this Mm -hmm. is the remix for treasure island and this one was is really exciting to me because it's um it's puts it in like china and the gold so the it's about two girls um, who go, you know, on a legendary adventure on the deadly high seas. So um, it takes place in 1826. And so the sun's setting on the golden age of piracy and the dragon fleet, which was like the scourge of the South China Sea is no more. It's just like a a legend now. Um, And the main character, uh, her name is uh, Zing. Uh, I'm okay at pronouncing Chinese names, but um, yeah, so it's Zing. And um, she's grown up with um, just a single mom and her father died at sea before she was born. She just has a pendant that she always wears. That's her memento of him. Um, But then a mysterious girl uh, named On steals it. And she's like, why would she steal my, you know, memento? And apparently she finds out that it has a little like map in it. And so she teams up with On to, you know, um, follow the map because they think it will lead to the um, fabled lost treasure of the dragon fleet. Um, 
So, you know, you can kind of hear how it sounds like Treasure Island. Mm-hmm. Um, but one cool thing is that, um, that I like about this is that C.B. Lee actually um, kind of took Treasure Island and but also a real life story. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the real pirate queen, Zhang Yi Shao, also mm-hmm. known, as, known as Ching Shi. Um, she is actually known as probably the most successful pirate um, in like history. She commanded huge fleet of ships and pirates at her height. Um, and then I think in 1810, she actually made a deal with the Chinese government to retire. And she got to keep like most of her plunder and she just retired with her husband and lived a nice, comfortable, quiet life. <laughs> um, so Good prosecution. Wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, cause she was so powerful. They were just like, Hey, if you stop what you're doing, we'll just leave you alone. And she was like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so I thought that like that part of including the real life history of this real pirate queen into the story of Treasure Island is really cool. So definitely recommend if you like the Treasure Island story, checking this one out. It also has a sapphic romance in it, um, a cute one. So yeah, it's it's definitely cool to have that story kind of mixed up and also pulled from Chinese history. So yeah, very nice. So I like that they they move it into like a different country and, and a different location. Exactly. Yeah, that's the whole remixed classics thing that they're doing is they take diverse authors and say, hey, take this classic book and, you know, move it into like your culture or, you know, your point of view, which is really cool. You get to read about Chinese pirates because there really were Chinese pirates. And I mean, they were taking on like the real pirate queen. She took on like the West India Company. I mean, she was she was powerful. She had like I think at her peak, they said like 44 ships or something under her command, which is like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. Nice to know about a, and it's a woman too. So the, that's always nice. Yep. Yeah. She, she actually, so she married this pirate captain and when he passed away, she got like basically with the support of um, his adopted son who later became her second husband. Um, like, okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, like she got control of the whole thing and she was a very, very powerful woman. So it's a pretty awesome story. <laughs> Sounds good. So will you find that down in the teen room? Yes. Yep. It would be down in the teen room. Uh, so a clash of steel by CB Lee. Well, listeners, what did you think of our selection? Do you have a favorite pirate book? And remember, or being, movie. Mindset, <laughs> or movie. <laughs> being a pirate is a mindset. And also, if you wanted to know more about speaking pirate, uh, apparently there is a mango lesson out there and we have a subscription to mango. So it's free for you to check it out and learn how to speak like a pirate. Yes. And so you can learn how to do it probably better than I did at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. But uh, yep. Yeah. So thank you all for listening and um, thank you so much to Daniel Jose Older for stopping by the show and talking about Ballad and Dagger, uh, which is out this week. It was out on Tuesday. So make sure to check that out. And I'd like to end with a great quote about pirates. Um, 
Now and then, we had a hope that if we lived and were good, God would permit us to be pirates. Mark Twain, Life on the Mississippi. <laughs> Great quote. <laughs> yes. My, so just remember, if you live and you're good, you might be permitted to be a pirate. So thank you so much for listening. Um, let us know what you thought of the episode. You can email us at podcast at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org. Join us next week when we welcome two authors to the podcast, Michelle Hunovan and Colleen Hubbard. And we'll see you next time.